Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, well, welcome to our uh, Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, as you probably just saw up on the screen, for those of you that are, are visiting, uh, we are making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And tonight we come to Matthew 5, 21 and 22. And the title of our lesson tonight is The Letter Versus the, the Spirit. Now, I'm going to start tonight uh, with a little bit of context. Uh, you guys, have, I'm sure, have heard me say that anybody that wants to can take a Bible verse out of context and make it mean just about anything you want it to mean. Um, one of my pet peeves, by the way, uh, is people who say, uh, take a Bible verse and say, this is what this verse means to me. I, I, I don't want to be rude, but I really don't care <laughs> what it means to you. What I want to know is what did Jesus mean when he said it? What I want to know is what did Paul or James or Peter or John, what did they mean when they said it? That's what's important. And so you can't figure that out without looking at it in context. Why did that person say what they said when they said it? That's what we mean by, by context. So I want to make sure before we start tonight, because we're about we're kind of entering a new section of the Sermon on the Mount... And I want to make sure we understand uh, where Jesus is in the sermon so that we understand why he said what he said. So let's go back real quickly to the very beginning. And in the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches the Beatitudes. Um, uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. All of those things. And I've said this over and over again, that those things describe the character of of a Christian. That is who a Christian is on the inside. Those, those characteristics are created in you when you are born again. Now, once he gets done with that, then he tells us what our purpose is. He gives us two metaphors. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So here we have a, a Christian and we're told who we are on the inside and we're told our purpose in the world. Now that brings us to a question. And that is, okay, well, what is the function of the law? What is the function of God's commands then in the life of a Christian? And you may say, well, why, why do we come to that question? Well, it makes perfect sense. Just think about it. Here I am. I'm a Christian. And I got this new stuff all on the inside of me. I've got these new characteristics. And Jesus has just told me, here's your purpose, Derek. You are to go out and be uh, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, here's the question how do I do that? How do I behave? What's right? What's wrong? What do I do? What do I don't do? In other words, how do I practically walk out this new life and fulfill this new purpose that I have, right? That, that makes perfect sense. And we know that the Old Testament law, we know that the law and the New Testament as well, the commands of God don't go away. 
Jesus told us that in Matthew, uh, Matthew 5, 17. He said, don't think that I've come to, to abolish the law. Don't think that I've come to do away with God's commands. No. No, I've come to fulfill them and specifically fulfill many of them in you. Now, isn't it perfectly natural? Now, let's think about it this way. Here I am. I'm this, I'm this new Christian. I got all these new characteristics on the inside. I feel all new. I'm, 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 I'm being merciful and I'm, I'm going after, I'm th- hungering after uh, righteousness and all these things are going on the inside. I've got this purpose that I know to fulfill. And now Jesus has just told me that don't think that I've come to do away with the law. Don't think that I've come to do away with God's commands. I've come to fulfill them. Now, wouldn't it be perfectly natural that if I say, okay, I got to walk out in this world and I got to follow the law and I got to fulfill God's commands, wouldn't it be perfectly natural for me to look for an example? To look around and say, who is it that, that actually does this better than anybody? Oh yeah, those guys. Those guys known as the scribes and the Pharisees, man, they, they keep the law down to the nth degree. Maybe I should use those guys as my example. And Jesus said, no, you don't want to do that. Now, he didn't use that language. In Matthew 5.20, he said it this way, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's where we quit last week. Now, let me tell you, the rest of chapter 5 is an explanation of that statement. In fact, it could be argued that the rest of the sermon is an explanation of that statement. But certainly, the rest of chapter 5 is an explanation of that statement. In other words, Jesus is going to show us exactly what does a righteousness look like that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. What exactly is it, what type of righteousness is required for us to enter the kingdom of heaven? Now, to do that, he's going to give us six illustrations. He's going to look into the law and he's going to give us six different illustrations. One on murder, adultery, a divorce, oaths, uh, vengeance, and love. Now, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't mention honor your... He doesn't go to the law and say, well, here's what it means about honoring your father and mother. He doesn't explain what it means about stealing. He doesn't say anything about idolatry. That's just to name three. Now, what that tells me is the point of what he's about to do isn't to explain every aspect of the law. The point is to illustrate the type of righteousness that he's looking for in the life of a Christian. Okay? Now, tonight, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to go through each one of those over the next couple of weeks, but tonight I'm going to look at them as a whole. And the reason I'm going to do that is because there are certain things that are common to all six illustrations. Here's the first one. Every single one of them starts with some variation of this statement. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. For example, Matthew 5, 21, he begins... He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, this is an important question that we've got to ask. Who said it? In other words, is Jesus saying you've heard it said in the law? Or is Jesus saying you've heard it said by others about the law? Because he doesn't tell us which one he's talking about. He just says you've heard it said. So this is an important point. 
Is he saying this is what the law says, or is he saying this is what others said about the law? Well, it's pretty obvious. I'll give you a couple reasons why. If you read the Gospels, whenever uh, Jesus points to the law, or whenever Jesus is quoting the law, he does it in one of two ways. The first thing he does is he says, it is written. For example, Matthew 21, 13, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Okay, you've heard it, right? Remember the, uh, uh, the temptation in the wilderness? What does he say to Satan? It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. You see that over and over with Jesus. He points to the law and he says, it is written. He also does it one other way. And sometimes he'll quote the law or point to the law, and he says, Moses said, or Moses commanded. For example, Matthew 8, 4, Jesus said to the leper, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus always refers to the law in one of those two ways. But here in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't do that. He's not saying the law says... What he's referring to is these traditions or these interpretations of the law that have literally been passed down by these teachers for, for centuries. So what Jesus is saying when he says, you've heard it said, he's saying, you've heard from others that the scripture means this. But I'm here to tell you today that the scripture actually means this. Okay, so that's the first thing. So we're not here And I want to make sure everybody understands this. This is not a contrast between the law given by Moses and a teaching given by Jesus. He's not looking back at the law and say, oh, I know Moses said that, but what he really meant was this. That's not what he's doing. What he's doing is he's looking at false interpretations of the law that have been given down through the years by scribes and rabbis and teachers and Pharisees, and he's standing up and saying, no, this is what the law really mean. So that's the first thing. Now let me answer a quick question for you. You may wonder, why did the people have to rely on the scribes and the Pharisees to tell them what the Bible said? Why did they have to do that? Well, to to answer that question, you got to know a little bit of history. The Old Testament scriptures were written in a language called ancient Hebrew. And those writings were passed down. Remember, they didn't have books. They didn't have a printing press. They didn't have Uh, computers, you just had scrolls. And you had men that would sit down with pen and ink and they would write it and make copies of it. And they did that for thousands of years. So by the time you get to around 500 BC, you've got the entire Old Testament has already been collected, written on the scrolls, uh, all 39 books that make up the Old Testament. And they're all written in this language called uh, Old Testament Hebrew. But here's the thing. If you look at this 600-year period between, say, 600 B.C. and the time of Jesus, Israel is conquered multiple times. They're conquered by the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar. They're conquered by the Persians and Darius. They're they're conquered by Alexander the Great. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, Around the 4th century uh, B.C., Alexander the Great comes in there and defeats the Persians and takes over control of Israel. And then, of course, the Romans come along and take, and they defeat the Greeks and take control. So by the time you get down to Jesus' day, the Jews have been dispersed. They've, they've, been, uh, they've been taken over by these foreign countries. And what happens is most Jews in that day could not even speak Hebrew, much less read and write Hebrew. In fact, in Jesus' day in Israel, the most common language was a language called 
Aramaic. So they literally had to rely, they had these scrolls that were written in a language that they didn't speak anymore. So they had to rely on these educated people that did speak Hebrew to read the scriptures and interpret it for them. Well, who are these men? We learned that last week, right? These are the scribes. They were educated. They were schooled in Hebrew. They knew how to do that kind of stuff. And of course, they also relied on their synagogue leaders who were the Pharisees. So literally for centuries, they had relied on these people to tell them what the Bible actually said. Okay, so that's the first thing. Jesus is saying, uh, you've heard it said. The second thing that's common to all six illustrations is this. Jesus says, but I say to you. But I say to you. For example, Matthew 5.22, Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus doesn't hesitate to set himself up not as just another authority. He sets himself up as the authority. In other words, he is standing there speaking as God. He's not just another human teacher. He's not just another scribe or another Pharisee or or another human prophet. He is God in the flesh interpreting the truth of God. By the way, if you don't believe it, that is true. This sermon means nothing. If he's not God, then he's just another scribe. He's just another teacher. That doesn't make his opinion any more valid than the last guy's. We might as well just go home. This is pointless. But if he is, if he's the same God on Mount Sinai that gave that law to Moses, and now here he is saying this is what it really means, then we better pay attention. That's a, that's a decision that each one of us has to make. So here he's going to say, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he's going to do that six times, six different illustrations, but the principles are exactly the same. Every single illustration, and like I said, we'll start next week and we'll go through them. But I, what I want you to see tonight is the principles for everyone are exactly the same. I'm going to give you five of them here tonight. Here's the first one. It is the spirit of the law that matters first and foremost, not the letter of the law. Okay? It is the spirit of the law that matters primarily, not the letter. Now, I want to give you some examples tonight to help you understand what I'm talking about. Um, we have laws, right? We have county laws. We have state laws. We have uh, federal laws. We have all kind of laws. And I'm here to tell you tonight that the spirit of the law, even human laws, is always more important than the letter. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, I like to fish, and uh, the FWC, Florida, has something called bag laws. And a bag law, basically, as a fisherman or as a hunter, it's your responsibility to go read those so you know how much of a particular species you can take. So, for example, if you go trout fishing, you can have five trout, and they have to be between a certain slot size. If you go red fishing, I think it's one per day, and it has to be within a slot size. Same thing with bass and other things as well. But if you go to the FWC website, this is how they explain what a bag law is. They say a bag law is the maximum number of individual fish legally harvested per harvester per day. Now, here's a really interesting thing. They don't define what a day is. They don't tell you what a day is. 
They don't define a day uh, for fishing, for example, from sunup to sundown because it's not illegal to fish at night. And they don't define it as, say, from 12 midnight to 12 midnight. Because if they did, I could go out at 11 o'clock and catch five trout. And when the clock turned over, I could catch five more. Are you with me? They don't want you to do that. So what they do is they just say per day. Do you see what the spirit of the law is? The spirit of the law is you go out, you take a fishing trip, you catch your limit, you go home. That's what they want you to do. But they're very careful that they don't try to define every single little thing that you could possibly run across. They don't try to do that. Because it's the spirit of the law that's more important. Let me give you another one. Which is more important? The letter of the law or the spirit of the law on a speed limit? It's not the letter. Nobody's going to pull you over for going 65 and a half. Never happened. Nobody pulls you over for going 66. They're not going to pull you over for going 67. If the letter of the law was that important, then they would pull you over for going 65 and a half, and they're not going to do that. Because it's the spirit of the law that's more important. What they have done is they've looked at that road, and, and what engineers do, they look at things called line of sight. Are there, are there any hills where you can't see cars coming? They look at entrances and how many cars are coming out. And they've looked at that road and said, okay, we think the safe speed on this road is 65. That's the spirit of the law. And behind that is, is, is we want you to go. So if you go 66, they're not going to pull you. Go 86 and they will. But it's not the letter of the law. Because if it was the letter of the law was important... They pull you for going a half a mile or a, a tenth of a mile over there. Are you with me? Folks, the same thing is true for all laws. And that's also true, by the way, in the Old Testament. God didn't lay down these laws that tried to cover every situation that could possibly anybody could ever find themselves in. That wasn't the point. The point is he wanted us to look at the spirit of the law. Let's take murder as an example. This is the one Jesus covers, and we'll talk about it more next week. Jesus said this, You've heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Okay? That's the letter of the the law. And here's the thing. The scribes and the Pharisees would go home every night, and they'd lay their head on the bed and think, Man, I didn't kill anybody today. I kept that law perfectly. Are you with me? I didn't kill nobody. Therefore, I kept that law absolutely perfectly. But you see, they missed the spirit of the law. Because what this behind the spirit of the law is your thoughts and your, and your motivations and your attitudes for your, towards your neighbor or towards your fellow man. God wants those to be good and right as well. So they could go through a day and hate somebody and want to kill that person. But as long as they laid their head down at night and they hadn't committed the act of murder, they thought they had kept that law perfectly and they missed it. And that's why Jesus said, if your righteousness better be more than that or you're not getting in. Listen to what Jesus said about this law in Matthew 5, 22. But I say to you, I say to you, that law means more than that. That law means that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fires of hell. 
Listen, we're going to find the same thing is true with the other illustrations. Let's take adultery. That Pharisee would go home and lay his head at night and, and think, man, I didn't sleep with a woman today. I kept that law perfectly. But inside, they were full of lust. Inside, they were full of, of trash and dirt and filthiness. And yet, they laid their head down and said, thank you, God, that I'm all right. You see, they completely missed the spirit of the law. They thought that it was enough to keep the letter of the law. Now, let me just warn you that not only is this true with human laws, not only is this true with the Old Testament, this is certainly true in the New Testament. We can't come to the New Testament and find these commands and say, oh, well, this is what we really need to do. It's the same thing. Let's take oaths as an example. Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Quakers. I don't know any Quakers. Um, except that guy there. That's the only Quaker I, I know is Quaker Oats. But Quakers are a religious sect, and they don't believe in swearing oaths. So if you, if you brought them to a trial and said, put your hand on the Bible, they'd say, no, can't do it. That's against my religious beliefs. And the reason they don't believe it, by the way, is from the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll see that here in a couple of weeks. Jesus said, don't swear oaths. So they took that literally to the letter, we will not swear an oath. They did the same thing, by the way, in the New Testament that the Pharisees did in the Old Testament. It's interesting, by the way, we've had two presidents who were Quakers. One was uh, Herbert Hoover and the other was Richard Nixon. And they both, as far as I know, put their hand on the Bible and swore an oath. But here's the thing. Wouldn't you and I both say it matters more that a person is a person of integrity than whether or not they put their hand on the Bible and swore an oath? I mean, how many people get up and swear an oath to tell the truth and then they just lie through their teeth? The whole point of this is be a person of truth. Be a person who says what you mean. Be a person of integrity. Don't be a person that has to swear on something so people will believe what you say. We're going to see these types of things. Jesus don't hold back. He's going to get down to the very spirit of these laws in the Old Testament. Now, let me say this. It's certainly, I'm not saying that the letter doesn't matter. You should not murder anyone. You should not commit adultery. But what it means is that the spirit of the law comes first. It means when we sit there and look at a command in the Bible, it's not enough just to read the letter and say, oh, I did that perfectly. No, you've got to look at what's behind it. You've got to interpret that by based on what the spirit of that law is. Principle number two. And by the way, this is just a, it's another way of saying the same thing that we just said. And that is that your thoughts and your motives and your desires are just as important as your actions according to God. You see, one, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were only concerned with the act of murder. They were only concerned with the act of adultery. And they thought they were perfectly fine, but Jesus is saying in all of these illustrations that the desire in your heart to do that thing is what is reprehensible to God. God hates that. In fact, let me be honest, most people that have those desires in their heart, if, if you took away the fear of, of repercussions from them, they do it. The only thing that really holds them back is because somebody might find out or they might go to jail. Or It's not a love for God. It's not a hunger for righteousness. It's a, it's a putrid thing growing down deep inside of them that sometimes leads to the action. But God, and I'm glad you don't commit murder and I'm glad you not commit adultery, but God said, 
that's not enough. I want to deal with what's on the inside. You're going to be liable for what's on the inside. Listen to what Jesus said. Again, we talked about this last week in the seven woes of Matthew 23. Just I'll read you one of them. Jesus said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You outwardly appear righteous to everybody because you're not committing adultery and you're not murdering and you're not doing all these things. But inside you are a hypocrite and you're full of sin because you, the thing you convict other people for, you want to do those things. You really do. Down deep inside, you lust after those things. You hate people. But he says, I see it. I see it and I call it what it is, which is lawlessness or sin. You see, pleasing God isn't just about what we actually do or actually don't do. God looks at our heart and we will be judged by what's in our heart, not just by what we do on the outside. Principle number three. The law of God wants us to be doers, not just don't doers. I don't know if that's correct English, but he, the law of God wants us to do, not just don't do. The, the whole Jewish concept of the law was what we might refer to as a negative one. In other words, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Don't do these evil things and you'll be okay. But listen to what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, describing a Christian. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, folks, we should be people as Christians who love righteousness, not just a people who merely avoids doing wrong things. Let me say that again. We should be people who love to do right things, not just people who don't do wrong things. Principle number four, the law of God is not an end unto itself. The Pharisees would every day would take stock of themselves. God, I thank you that I'm not a robber. I hadn't extorted anybody, hadn't committed adultery. I tithe, I, I fast twice a week. In other words, they compared themselves against a list. And as long as they did what was on that list, they thought, I'm okay with God. That, that was the way they looked at it. The, the, really, God, honestly, they never looked at him and say, what's he like? What type of character does God have? It wasn't about knowing God or loving God. It was just about keeping the rules. And they thought, as long as you keep the rules, I'm right with God. Now listen, some of the things they did were good things. There's nothing wrong with fasting and tithing and praying. But you have to ask yourself, why are you doing them? Are you doing them to be right with Him? Or are you doing them to know Him? Are you doing them to somehow earn some kind of righteousness? Or are you just doing them because you want to get closer to Him? Listen, there is no point at all to any of those things unless they bring us into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. They're a complete waste of time. I mean, it's not about the things. It's about Him. It's about knowing Him. It's about being in a relationship with Him. And God forbid if we turn those rules into religion in and of themselves. If we've done that, we have missed it completely. It is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Principle number five, and this will be the last one. And I want you to listen very closely to this one. The law of God is meant to free us, not oppress us. Um, if you're here tonight, I hope you're not here and you think... I, I remember as a kid, right? And I thought when I thought about being a Christian... 
My whole concept of being a Christian is I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do that and I'm not going to be able to do this and I can't do that. Anybody? That was our whole concept of a Christian. I saw it as being burdensome. I saw it as being grievous. But when you turn to the Bible, it keeps using the word free. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Whom the Son sets uh, free is free indeed. As Paul says in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that he set us free. There's this idea about being a Christian that you're free, free, free. So here's the thing. If we think, if we are in this room tonight and we still think of God's commands as being grievous or burdensome, there's probably one of two reasons. Number one, you don't really understand Scripture. You don't even really understand what God has done for you. You're a Christian, but you don't really get it. Or you're not a Christian at all. You've never been born again. You've never been changed on the inside. I want to show you this, um, if I can. Uh, we just finished up, uh, uh, before we started this study, we just finished up a study in the book of Romans. And specifically, uh, Romans, we were in Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to regurgitate a little bit of material from that because I don't, just in studying it, it helped me so much. And remember, the whole point here is the law of God is meant to free us not to, to bring us under slavery or bring us under uh, any kind of bondage. It's meant to really set us free. Listen to Paul in Romans 7, 4. He says, Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. So I, I, I put up this picture, this illustration. So as an unbeliever... You and I are bound by this law. Now, by the way, you don't even really have to know anything about the Bible to understand that we're all bound by rules and regulations. We're raised that you do certain things, you don't do certain things, and and we're, we're in this box surrounded by these laws. And most of us, we hate it. We absolutely hate it. We want to... We want to kick at it and push it and, and get away from it. And by the way, when we break it, we feel these things called shame and guilt and regret. It's like living in this box. And we say we're free, but we're not really free. And Paul says that what Christ has done for you is He set you free from the law, but He, he made a very important point. He didn't set you free from the law to be by yourself. He set you free from the law to be united with Jesus Christ. Now, that is a very important point. So salvation, being saved, is freedom from this law, from these rules and regulations, but it's also a unification with a person, that person being Jesus Christ. Now, here's the question, why? Why is it so important that we be set free from all these rules, but brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, Paul tells us in that same verse. I'll read it again. Likewise, brothers and sisters, you've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you can belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. In other words, Paul says what what God wants to do inside of you is produce fruit. He wants to produce holiness. He wants to produce righteousness. And the only way that happens is when you're in union with Jesus Christ, not by having a bunch of laws and rules and regulations that you follow. 
True holiness, true righteousness comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ, not from rules and regulations. That's what he's saying. Now, let me just say this. I know that when I talk about the law, that some of you zone out. I can see it right now. Some of you, one, some, I saw one person, one eye rolled back this way and the other one rolled back that way. And I, I get it, right? Because when we talk about the law, you immediately think temples and priests and sacrifices and Pharisees and Old Testament and stuff that happened so long ago that it's got nothing to do with me. Why all of this talk about the law? Folks, listen to me. Listen to me. Law keeping is just as alive and well today in the church as it was 2,000 or 3,000 years ago. It is just as alive today. Let me give you an example. In 2012, I was serving as youth pastor here, and I was trying to teach the teenagers. And by the way, they're just like you. You start talking about the law, you know, one eye goes this way, the other guy eye goes that way, smoke comes out their ears. I was trying to come up with a, an example to show them how law-keeping is alive and well, how law-keeping in this, these scriptures about the law and how we've been set free from the law. I was trying to teach them that this, this applies to you today. And I was struggling. I was trying to figure out how can, I, how can I tell them what this really means. And through a series of circumstances, I ran across uh, a code of conduct, code of conduct from a Christian college. This Christian college is right here in Florida, um, not too far from us. Uh, now, I will say this was in 2012, so that's 10 years ago. So they may have changed, so I, I, don't, I don't know if they're still that today. But what I did is I went to their website, and I read their code of conduct for their students. Okay, And I won't read the whole thing, but I'm going to give you a few. This was the dress code for men. If you were a student at this college, no pockets on the legs of your pants. No frayed bottoms on your pants. Men may not wear a necklace. You must wear a belt at all times. No blue jean shirts and certainly no blue jean jackets. No intentionally mismatching clothes. Now, (laughs) these are men. I want to just point that to you one more time. Who in the world is the arbiter of that rule? Who decides that they intentionally mismatch that clothes? It's funny, tonight as I was, I was walking out the door, I was tying my shoes, and I looked down, and I had two different color <laughs> socks on. And you say, did you intentionally mismatch? Well, I just intentionally didn't care is basically the, the reason that I did it. Uh, but now the last one i got to agree with, men ought to wear socks. I'm just going to tell, tell you that right now. Let me go to some of their, I won't, the, the women's ones, as you can imagine, is just as bad. Uh, let me give you their social interaction. These are their codes of behavior. Uh, males and females are to use separate public beaches. You may not go into the campus of any other college in the area. Women must leave campus in groups of two or more. You may not interact with a student of the opposite sex in any way off campus without prior approval and an approved chaperone. Each gender, listen to this, each gender must use segregated stairways elevators, and in some cases, sidewalks. That means, by the way, when you go into one of their buildings that the men have a staircase and the women have a staircase. There's a men's elevator and there's a women's elevator. You can't have these kids passing each other. That just won't, that won't do, right? Siblings of the opposite sex should not interact in unchaperoned areas to abstain from the appearance of evil. 
No attending a movie theater, unapproved concert event, and then my favorite, no cracking the communion cups. Okay? (laughs) Now, here's the thing. Listen, we all understand we need rules, right? I wouldn't expect for my child to go off to college and there be no code. But can we at least agree this goes beyond just keeping order? Now, here's my question. Why would people do this? Why would Christians who have been set free from these rules and regulations and laws and they've been united to Jesus Christ, why would they put themselves back? Well, I just said earlier, there's two reasons people do this. Number one, they're fake Christians. That's one reason people do it, because they're not born again. By the way, I didn't say that. The Apostle Paul said that in Galatians 2 and 3. In Galatians 2, he said this, If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If I step away from those laws and I say, Man, I'm, I'm free, but at some point you go back over and you surround yourself and you try to earn it, Paul said, you just proved that you never were redeemed. You never were ransomed. You never were born again. In Galatians 3.10, he says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. You try to rely on rules and regulations to earn your righteousness. Paul says you're under a curse. So there are people... And by the way, if I, if I made an illustration, it would be this guy. This is the guy that's got his Bible in one hand, and he's pointing the finger in the other, and he's in a cage. He ain't born again. He has no mercy. He has no empathy. He's just got rules, and he's going to beat you over the head with them. And all the time, he's not in union with Jesus Christ. He's just surrounded himself with rules and regulations, trying to prove to himself, if I can just keep these rules, I'm going to be right with God. But there are other people that are Christians. They're just foolish Christians. By the way, I didn't say that. The Apostle Paul said that. Galatians 3, 1 through 3, listen to this. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh. See, I believe Paul's talking to people who've been born again. He's talking to people who have the Spirit of God, and he's saying, who is, who's bewitched you? Who has convinced you that somehow you've got to go and put yourself back in that jail cell? Who's done that? Now, here's a question that I ask myself a lot. Why would Christians do that, real Christians? I know why unbelievers do, do it, but why would a real Christian Why would they put themselves back in that cell, so to speak? I'll tell you why. Because law-keeping helps us feel in control. Law-keeping helps us feel more secure in our faith. And law-keeping gives us something to judge ourselves and others by. It makes you feel good because you can lay down at night and say, Man, I didn't do this, and I didn't do that, and I did this, and I did... Man, I'm okay. I feel saved today. It just makes you feel more secure. There's a, there's a pull to go do that. But here's the thing, folks. Here's an illustration of this type of person. They are a Christian. They, ha- they are in union with Jesus Christ, and, and they've put themselves back in this cell, so to speak. And by the way, the door's wide open. 
they're not bound by that. They can walk away at any time. But there's something about using those rules and regulations that makes them feel good, makes them feel like they're holy, makes them feel right, like they're righteous. By the way, this is why Paul called them a fool. Because when you do that, you actually separate yourself from the source of true holiness and true righteousness, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you imagine somebody walks over and says, man, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to be a rule keeper and I'm going to be holy and righteous. And the source of your holiness and righteousness is Jesus. That's where true holiness comes from. That's where true... Only a fool would do something like that. Listen to me, River of Life. We've been set free from that type of living. We've been set free from living according to the letter of the law. We are created, redeemed, born again to live a different way. Listen to Paul, Romans 7, 6. But now, he says, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. That says it as plain as day. I'm not bound by that anymore. I'm certainly not reliant on those rules and regulations for my salvation. I've been set free. And now when I go to the Bible and I look at a law, I look at what's the spirit of that? What, what, is, what does he want me to do from that? What does he want me to learn from that? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6 this, For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Listen, the Pharisees relied on the letter and it killed them. It absolutely killed them. He said that type of righteousness will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You need something more. You need to be born again. You need the Spirit of God inside of you. You need the law written on your heart. By the way, I still want to follow the law. I still want to do the commands. But here's true freedom. I was thinking about this the other day. Why is it that Christianity sets us free? It's because I finally am, I, I, I get to do and I'm empowered to do what I really am. Does that make sense? I, I, I really, as a Christian, I hunger and thirst. I don't just want to avoid evil. I want to do right. And with, in this relationship to Jesus and, and with the Holy Spirit, for the first time, I can do those things. It's become a part of my character. It's become a part of who I am. For the first time, I am really and truly free. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be someone who tries to rely on rules and regulations and think you're okay with God. If you're one of those here tonight, I would say, as I often do, there's not a better time than tonight to give your heart to Jesus. There's not a better time than tonight to step out of that prison and enter into a union, a relationship with a person. And I'll tell you this, you will never be the same. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for uh, uh, what's in store for us over the next few weeks. I am just super excited to, to, to really delve into the spirit of your word. But God, I, I just pray right now, Lord, that, that in a crowd this size, that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that doesn't have not entered into that relationship, they're still relying on their works, they're still relying, uh, they think I'm a good person, that'll be enough. No, it won't. That's not enough. They've got to be changed, they've got to be indwelt, they've got to be in a relationship with you or they will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord, please drive that home to them tonight. Do it now, Lord. Do it in a way that only you can. 
make it real to them here tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you. I ask you that as a church, that we never be legalistic, that we, ne- we follow your laws, we love your law, we want to walk in your law, but God, we depend on you. We depend on you to do all of those things. God, please, as, as we have these people coming into church more and more every Sunday, help us, help them see a people that knows you. Help them see a people that loves you, not loves your rules that not loves the the lifestyle or any of that, but just loves you, wants to know you. Help us to be that kind of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info rolcrawfordville.com We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30am in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.